Welcome to the Deconstructing Data Podcast. I'm Jesse Lezak, CMO at BDEX, along with David Finkelstein, BDEX's co-founder and CEO. Hi, David. Can you believe OmniIQ has been launched for one full year now? Wow. Um, no, I can't believe it. Um, so we had two milestones, a milestone with uh, this podcast being at a year and now OmniIQ officially being a year. That's That seems crazy. I know. One year. Well, here we are. And um, episode 49 with Deconstructing Data, so time flies. Mm -hmm. But um, before we lose too much time, let's bring in today's amazing guest. Uh, welcome to the show, Aaron Edwards. He's CEO and co-founder of The Charles Group. Let's bring him in. Welcome, Aaron. Hi, guys. How's it going? Hi, not too bad. Thanks for being here. Yeah, going well. Great to have you on the show, Aaron. Um, appreciate you coming on and joining us. Um, let's kick this off with a little history. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you to start the Charles Group um, and a little bit about you know what you guys do and how you serve your customers. Okay, I'll give you the short form version because uh, I have a tendency to ramble. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I started uh, in this industry, well, out of this industry, um, in finance originally, uh, and left that to kind of come into the, the, the advertising marketing space. I was originally in London, moved to New York. Um, I co-founded the agency with my sister, uh, who's a chief creative officer and creative director. Um, and she kind of manages the creative side of the business. And I kind of manage the business end of the business. Um, and we got started mainly because we saw a need for agile kind of workflows, quicker ways of doing things, and ultimately what we like to call transformation work or transformational work through really strong design. And that's really what we did. You know, we'd build websites, we'd do brand IDs. I caught the attention of Bloomberg and we ended up doing a BloombergMedia.com redesign, um, as well as working with the Wall Street Journal and Dow Jones, which has kind of led us now to this place where we sit at the intersection of kind of design, content, strategy, and digital marketing. That's Very cool. cool. So that's an amazing story that you actually uh, started this business with your sister. I can't imagine going into business with my sister. <laughs> uh, hopefully she's not listening, but uh, I think she knows we, we wouldn't be able to work together. So uh, um, you know, kudos to you. Um, really interesting uh, to hear that story. That's great. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, should we um, dive into our first topic of Let's see, pairing data and cultural insights. Can you kick us off with this one, Aaron? Oh, yeah. Kind of like, um, I like to think of this one as um, a conversation starter, because I think there's lots, there's kind of two sides of the coin or two sides of the equation that a lot of people think about when they think about marketing. And, you know, you usually have the creative folks who have got ideas and concepts, and then you have the data folks, and they're like, you know, hardcore KPIs and metrics and, and so forth. And and it's typically been a bit of a headbutting situation we've seen and, and we've gone through in the past, you know, uh, early on in the days where we were starting to get data around our clients, you know, we'd, we'd start making these assumptions based on what we saw. And these assumptions would usually be based on one or two data points, which now looking back, you know, was very juvenile of us. Um, and so over time, you, we've developed this like, understanding of, of thinking 
well, how do we think through data and how do we think through data's application in relation to creative concepting, content creation, content marketing, et cetera? We start to realize is that data really is the voice in the room, right? It's not the be all and end all. There isn't going to be one data point that proves out an entire hypothesis or model. Instead, we use data to contextualize information. And ultimately, we use our creative brains to think about how we're utilizing, you know, the idea that's then centered around multiple touch points inside of that data ecosystem. And ultimately, how do we arrive to an insight and a recommendation for our client that we feel is beneficial and helpful to, to their marketing um, and, and creating content? So, you know, we, we like to say that we pair data and cultural insights um, and we fuse them together to help generate a better way of thinking through how we advertise for our clients and our brands. Um, and, I, and I think these are kind of, oh, this is an important area to discuss because I think a lot of agencies talk about, you know, um, utilizing data, but don't really know where to start. And, and you know, sometimes uh, you have creatives who say, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to even think about the data. The data is irrelevant. What does it mean, you know, for us when we're creating a super creative conceptual campaign? And so we, we like to think we have a nice little methodology and formula around that. Oh, that's really that's interesting. interesting. So t tell us about what does that mean, really? Like, are you talking about having different sets of KPIs for different audiences? Is it, is it something like that? Well, so the way that we kind of approach every project that we work on is, is with research. And a lot of the time, it's not in the budget. It's not in the scope wasn't in the brief. We don't need research. We have all the data we need. Why do we need you guys to tell us what we already do? And so we say, well, well, let's take a look at it. Let's have a look at the data. Let's see what exactly what you're looking at. Let's understand your measurement plans. Let's understand the measurement framework behind what we're looking at. And then tell, you tell us, you know, what, what is it that you see from this, this information? And when you start asking these questions, usually it becomes clear that there's, there's expertise or a really specific perspective in one area, but not necessarily thinking through the lens of others. So we like to basically say to our clients, if, if we don't see, you know, we see these missing pieces, we, we call it the four C's. We say, let's, let's look at the consumer, let's look at the category, let's look at the competition, and let's look at the culture. And let's understand those four areas and understand how you know, the data that you have existing is, you know, complies or is implies different insights into those areas. And so when we think about, you know, any kind of strategy that we're developing, it really needs to be developed from the insight. And those four areas are the uh, ways in which we kind of address how we develop insights around building the strategy for our clients. When you're looking into the fourth C for culture, what, what exactly are you looking at? Oh, I love this question. So it's it's everything, right? It's it's the internet. It's what we live, <laughs> breathe every single day, right? What's happening on TikTok? What's been said in a forum? What's been going on in Reddit? What's happening on Twitch? What's going on YouTube? You know, sentiment analysis is really interesting. Um, you know, lots of different interesting things you can do now around conversations that are being had online. Um, there's a lot of interesting data extraction um, tools and techniques that are now used to be able to pull and scrape data that gives you a really interesting perspective on those areas. Um, and ultimately, you know, 
understanding what's trending, what's what's popular um, inside of popular culture, whether that's music, fashion, art, science, um, it, it really could be anything. Um, and so what we like to focus on is is thinking through the lens of if we're if we're looking at the consumer and understanding kind of where they fit or may, where they may or may not fit inside our ecosystem, what are some of the subcultures that we are observing that connect them to a main marketing trend or, or main marketing theme or, or, or popular culture um, event that's currently happening? Oh wow, that's a really interesting way to look at it. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, the bigger the brand, the more information there is out there about, uh, you know, with respect to those consumer insights, right? I mean, that's, right. you know, the the bigger the brand, the more conversations that are happening on various different platforms about that brand. And so you're talking about when you're talking about the research part of it, you're talking about pulling in that, you know, that information. What are those conversations that consumers are having about your brand? And, and understanding, you know, maybe how they're using the product or what they like or don't like and, and addressing the, those in your campaigns. Interesting. Correct. And, and, and we found a lot of, um, we found a lot of interesting extrapolations, right? Usually, it's usually in the comments section, especially when you're looking at CPG <laughs> lifestyle brands, right? And it's like, you guys don't get this, or this is really cool. And I can't believe that you have a view and opinion on it. And so when we think about that as engagement, we think about that as a metric for success. We say, wow, you know, are, are we in the conversation here? You know, are we, are we being perceived by the consumer in the right light here? You know, do we, do we think that we're positioning ourselves correctly? So it brings up a whole bunch of other questions around the strategic tone of voice, positioning, etc for the brand but ultimately you know our goal is to is to be always a part of the conversation you know with with the audience and be continuing to have that real-time contextual information that makes them feel that you're relevant as a brand it's good stuff yeah well, that's that's really interesting jesse you recall we had the conversation i guess it was two episodes ago and the name ex escapes me maybe you'll remember the name um, the organization that was uh, helping get those insights from consumers. Yeah. Um, that, you know, and, and one of the examples was like, uh, what, what, what was it? It was like, I don't think it was Circle K, but it was one of those. Was it Circle K? Yeah, Maybe it, was Circle I think it might have been Circle K. Yeah. I was, and, and I was like, well, who talks about Circle K online? You know what I mean? And, but that's what their business was all about, was uh, about, you know, getting, you know, consumers engaged you know, maybe getting them to take a selfie in front of the, you know, the Circle K for mm -hmm. some reason, maybe because they're going to get some sort of points or some, you know, opportunity to win something, whatever, but getting them to, you know, to engage with the brand so that the brand can learn about how consumers, you know, what's the consumer um, sentiment around the brand. Um, and so yeah. that's, that's really interesting that you're talking about sort of the same thing. Let's, let's find out you know, what the consumer sentiment is around the brand and use that, you know, as a learning exercise and research on how we should, you know, market to consumers going forward. Correct. Definitely. Super cool. Very cool. And speaking of all that data, should we talk about data governance a little bit? So Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> can you kick us off, Aaron, on data governance within the marketing agency space? Yeah. So this is, this is something I'm learning 
So please forgive me here. I'm definitely not uh, a data governance expert or legal. Uh, there is no legal advice here, disclaimer. Um, but, you know, I, th I think it's an area that we uh, as an agency are starting to become very, very, uh, I'm not going to say concerned about, but definitely aware of, um, you know, cybersecurity policies, et cetera. When you start to, to work with these larger organizations, a lot of the compliance and regulations around, you know, how data is being managed, how data is being stored, how data is being encrypted, um, you know, all of these things are really part of the consideration. And as marketers and as, you know, in a, in a marketing agency space, we really need to be thinking about how we're protecting and managing our client data. Um, so, you know, a, a few things uh, that I always like to go to, you know, things like backing up data. Now, that's, this is a, a gray area because you may say, well, certain compliance regulations state that you can't have physical servers and everything has to be in a cloud or sometimes it's the complete opposite. But ultimately, you know, we, we want to make sure whether you're providing graphic design services, website design services, et cetera, that there's some form of backup somewhere and that there's some form of cold storage element to, to the work that you have because we've heard many horror stories of, of people being hacked and all of a sudden the data that they felt they had is no longer available and that could be millions, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of potential you know, intellectual property and also you know, irrevocable uh, damages. So having data backed up is gonna be really key. Um, <clears throat> securing your devices and your network is gonna be key. So you know, no password for the password uh, <laughs> being utilized. I think we've all been guilty of creating passwords and things like that. Um, and, and also, you know, thinking about where you're utilizing some of your devices, um, you know, we've heard things of, 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 of people um, having specific tools that can scan information from mobile phones that can then basically be leveraged um, to, you know, unlock phones, etc. So there's a lot of, um, you know, protocol around making sure that the devices you have are secure uh, and that the networks that you're on are secure and that you're not, you know, transferring data, et cetera, unbeknownst to yourself. Um, encryption kind of goes hand in hand with that, right? Um, as well as kind of thinking through multi-factor authentication, MFA. It's something that we're really big on at the agency. Um, there's not one device um, not one service, not one area that doesn't have some form of multi-factor authentication, although there are bypasses for it, obviously. Um, and then, you know, one of the really big ones, is, which is absolutely nothing to do with technology or any kind of thing, is is the human element. Um, you know, from what we've learned so so far and so recently, you know, a lot of data governance issues actually come from just a human mistake. It's less about the software and the system that's been implemented, but more about people not understanding, you know, what it is that they need to do to, to make sure that the data isn't, you know, um, being, you know, uh, showcased in areas that they, they weren't aware of. Um, think of something as simple as chat GPT, right? Or some of these other AI generative platforms where, you know, people may upload a certain document thinking that, oh, I can, you know, uh, optimize my efficiency or workflow without realizing that you've just fed highly confidential, sensitive information to a, an open <laughs> open neural network that then may decide whatever it wants to do with that information. So, you know, really putting the training plans and policies in place to help guide staff, I think is really, really going to be key. I mean, we've had 
I'm just being fully transparent and this is not to scare people, but we've had phishing scams that have become so sophisticated, people mirroring my email address, mirroring my phone number, sending emails, messages to personal staff members to buy bank cards or purchase products from Amazon. Um, you know, we've had some very unfortunate scenarios and situations. So there's a lot to think about when it comes to managing your data, but also managing your client's data too. For sure. Um, you make some really good points. And that phishing scam is one that's going around a lot. And and basically, you know, what, what we're finding is that, you know, it's, it's happened on, on our team as well. And we, you know, we have uh, an internal flag that flags them. Luckily, uh, we've been able to, you know, sort of prevent, uh, prevent disaster. But uh, yeah, those phishing scams are, are really crazy. Um, how they go after, you know, p posing as you, right? The CEO of the company or the founder of the company um, and sending messages to the employees, asking them to do favors. And it's, it's one of the popular ones that's going around now. Um, yeah, it's crazy. But you mentioned also the importance of data security. And I think that there's a lot that people don't realize that can happen. You know, yes, the, there's the phishing scams and things like that. People don't realize uh, how easily, how easy it is to inject a, um, you know, a malware into a network. Um, uh, one of the most popular ones is is through the HR department where they'll send a, uh, a resume. And it'll appear to be, you know, a regular resume, but it's actually a, a document that's a, an attachment that is, is designed to basically create a, a hole in your network. Um, and, then, uh, and then from there, they can basically do anything that that person could do at their workstation um, that opened it. So there's a lot of crazy uh, scams out there that are that are all geared towards trying to get at, you know, whatever data you're holding on your servers. And, and, and so the data security is super important. Um, it's something that we hold um, to the highest regard in the sense that, you know, we work with financial institutions and, and, and some pretty large organizations that are really strict on how their data is handled. And so we have to go through a lot of uh, checks and balances in order to make sure that, uh, you know, they can trust that their data is safe with us. Um, and, and a lot of smaller companies can't afford to go through that. And so those are usually the ones that, that are highest risk. 100%, very unfortunate. Definitely. Scary topic. Let's move on. <laughs> I know it really is, but it's an important one. But another one that we, we and we don't, we probably don't get into that as often as maybe we should, David, on deconstructing data. But uh, one that we do get into very often is the cookie-less future. Mm -hmm. And so we're curious to hear from you um, about the cookie-less world and you know how the cookie-less world is not really cookie-less. Yeah. Oh, this is an interesting one. Um, you know, I, I'd love to say something really profound and exciting, but unfortunately I don't have any, anything profound or exciting to say here. I think I have a lot of, uh, the same kind of rhetoric, which is, you know, first party data is the future. <laughs> we need mm -hmm. it. Um, but you know, I, I think, why I get really interested, and a few years ago when I first got into the industry, it was an area that I was was boggling my mind, and I was 
I was desperate to try to find a solution or build one. And it was really around this idea of um, the unification of, of ID, right? Like how could you unify um, some of the data that exists or metadata that exists within somebody's profile and leverage that as a way to improve, you know, contextual and personalized advertising. And I know that there's there's very large companies that have endeavored on on, on, on projects like that. I think Newstar was one of them, um, you know, where they built a uniform ID system where they could identify you from your, you know, uh, device number or from your cell phone number and ultimately, you know, create a one-to-one in terms of how you exist inside of their marketing ecosystem. But it's an area that I think brands are really going to have to start paying a lot of attention to, but also devising kind of ways in which they think about how they market to people that exist in their first party data marketing ecosystem. Um, and, And what I mean by that is you have kind of paid media, you have organic, you have CRM, you know, you have website um, data. There are all these different areas, all these different channels um, that exist where there are bits and bobs of data sets. And so, you know, really for, for brands to become, I think, more sophisticated, they're going to need to really think through how they're leveraging their first party data and how the customer is navigating through that ecosystem. So what are the different touch points? How do we ensure that we're not sending generic, you know, advertisements to the same list because they sit inside of our CRM retargeting pool? How do we build a one-to-one conversation with them that's more contextualized to the things that they've been looking for? You know, how do we figure out potential upsell opportunities inside of, you know, what, what, what we have as our product suite for these guys. So markets are already doing this, they're already thinking this through, but I'm not sure that the execution is quite matching yet um, the desire and appetite for, for that type of marketing. And so I think when we think about the cookie-less world, I, I think it, it, it really is just a comment around how much more sophisticated uh, marketers and advertisers are going to have to become in order to kind of maintain, attract, and retain kind of audiences. Yeah, it's definitely become a growing challenge. I mean, the idea of having a unified ID, um, while super interesting and and exciting, the challenge there is who owns that, right? I mean, right. I, I, you know a hundred companies came out with their own ID, you know, whether it be Newstar and LiveRamp and Lodome and, you know, ID5. And there's so many, so many of them, you can't even list them all. Um, and they all touted, hey, you know, mine is going to be the next, you know, unified yeah. ID. Unfortunately, you can't have, you know, a hundred unified IDs. It just doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, right. So that's really been the challenge. But if you have one, then who owns yeah. that, right? And you can't have yeah. one company managing, you know, all of that. Well, and, and, so, you know, uh, so that's where it gets interesting. Google um, recently, I don't know if you're aware, this launched a, a tool called Pair. I don't know if you're familiar with it. No. Google Pair. No, it's it's their new. Um, how can we put this? Um, one-to-one 
uh, unified ID. So basically, okay. it's an identity solution specific to Google that allows advertisers and publishers um, who are buying on Google's uh, buying platform to match first party data to deliver mm -hmm. like personal ads. Um, yeah. So I think it's so that makes sense. Publisher advertiser identity reconciliation, um, mm -hmm. which, which which I think is is an in, like, to your point, right? We can't have a hundred versions of this, right? It, it kind of makes the whole thing very messy and multi-touch attribution almost impossible. But I think we we we, we may be experiencing or seeing kind of the rise and dominance of the players who have you know market share of advertising dollars creating even larger walled gardens between, you know, their own data sets and, and really brands being held at the mercy or held, held to ransom. I mean, we've seen this with Meta um, most recently with the, with the extreme rise in, in, in media costs um, for, for certain types of advertising and targeting. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think there's an interesting idea or conversation around, you know, do these, um, you know, very large tech companies start to influence, um, you know, the way in which we view cookies and, and first party data uh, being managed inside of their own ecosystems, meaning clients end up spending more money because they have better data with a one you know, with Google versus Facebook. So Google is now a priority for them versus Facebook. And it's just yeah. an interesting thought starting question curious to get your thoughts well, on it it is so i mean one of the one of the problems is that the the government um sort of cracked down on um you know tracking data about consumers right and all the legislature around it has actually i think backfired and created um bigger walls around these wall guard wall gardens right because now <laughs> look at Google, like now all of a sudden Google has this opportunity here to control right. all of the advertising. And in the Facebook situation, we had, you know, all these small businesses that were relying on, you know, being able to, tr you know, track that um, consumer behaviors in order for them to target their ads that, yeah. you know, once, once those changes went into place, they all failed. And, and I personally saw some of them go out of business. Um, wow. A lot of small businesses that just all of a sudden couldn't reach their, you know, their ideal customers because yeah. they couldn't be tracked anymore. And so yeah. now you've got Apple and you've got Google and you've got Meta, whatever, um, Amazon. And now they've just unfortunately just become stronger because now yeah. you have all of these other smaller midsize, all these SMBs that are trying to compete yeah. with them. But guess what? The walls have gone up even higher. And yeah. now you know, you're, you become even more reliant on them if you want to access, you know, the consumers that they control. And so I, I think that yeah. that's, that was a big failure. And unfortunately, um, you know, I'm hoping that we can figure out a way around it. I'm hoping that some innovative technology will come out that will say, hey, here's a better way to target consumers. And I personally think it's going to be around AI. I, I think that mm -hmm. that's where we're going. I think that the, the future mm -hmm. of ad targeting is going to be less about um, tracking data about consumers per se and more tracking yeah. um, data around, you know, actions that are happening, not even knowing who the consumer is, but seeing those actions yeah. and using AI yeah. to make determinations of what actions may or may not happen 
um, and, and being able to test that. And that's what AI does, right? It, it, it constantly tests and, and, and will perfect your ad campaign until it performs the way you're looking for it to perform. So I think that that's where we're, where we're headed. And I, and I find that was such a fascinating uh, comment because, again, when I first got into this industry, coming from finance, um, specifically, you know, derivatives and so forth, we had so much complication. Like, like I, I look at finance because it's such a time-honored industry, right? And and spent spent all this time developing into what it is today, which is you know, entire economies. And so I look at... Um, what was happening within the algorithmic trading space. And I say, that is not that dissimilar and we are not that far off, um, yeah. you know, in terms of how our trade desks working now in relation to, you know, the amount of information that's exchanged between advertiser and publisher and so forth. I think the actionable part that you're mentioning is, is basically the missing piece or the missing link, um, mm -hmm. how to turn that information into something that's actionable. But, um, I look to finance and say, well, that they actually have now entire funds, hedge funds, just running autonomously, you know, strategies yeah. that are running now on an infinite cycle. And that to your point about that action, it's whether it's, you know, being on price and executional speed or whether it's like something more advanced and more technical and complicated, I think we're going to see a rise in dominance in kind of AI programmers, engineers, building even better versions of things that are ultimately going to make things a one-to-one. -one. So uh, totally with you on that one. It's a great, Aaron, it's a great correlation because, uh, you know, getting into the data business early on and the reason why we called our platform a data exchange platform, because we always saw data being, you know, or the future of data um, being an exchange in the same way that, that stocks are exchange or commodities are exchange, right? And I, I still think that that's the future in the sense that, you know, it's all going to be sort of programmatic in that way. Um, and uh, it's, it's going to be really interesting. I think the future is going to be really interesting because when you have an AI that is looking at, um, you know, uh, the bid stream, right? And is looking at, you know, what ads are being served to what devices um, on what websites or what apps and analyzing that in real time, the way that a quant is, aver is analyzing, you know, what's going on in the markets in real time and making adjustments based on that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be super powerful. And I think that the future of advertising is, is exactly that. It's, it's an AI driven ad campaign. Yeah. This Scary. was really interesting. So wait, David, are you saying that like, basically earlier you were mentioning, you thought the future was AI and, and there would be only actions and AI would learn based on these actions. So then really there would be no privacy data being shared. It would just be these like trigger points, these actions. Right. Yeah. The, the, the consumer, it doesn't matter who the consumer is. I mean, look, look at, look at how, how an, a quant algorithm uh, um, analyzes stocks, right? In order to make decisions, it doesn't care yeah. what the stock is. It only cares right. what's happening to the stock. What are the, what's the data behind it, right? You know, what are, what are the fundamentals behind it? And what else is happening to correlating stocks? 
And so this, I think you're going to have the same situation where it's not an ad is being served. What is happening? What is the correlation between that ad, the time of day, the, you know, where it was served, the app, you know, all these other signals and, and then every other ad impression. And as all of that is analyzed and we see, okay, which ones were, you know, an action occurred, which one did someone click on, which one did someone engage with, which one did someone convert on? And all of a sudden, you know, adjustments are made in, you know, sending more of certain, you know, advertise, you know, cons consumers to this advertisement versus this one on this platform and so on and so on. It's just going to kind of move all around. You know, you might have this ad, this is your ad and it's moving all around the internet, you know, depending on what the signals are telling it to and where it should be. Man, I like that idea. Be a different world. I mean, I guess pretty similar, but we wouldn't have to worry about all the data privacy concerns. Yeah, exactly. You, yeah. The privacy yeah. concerns are not an issue there because it doesn't matter who it's being served to. You know, yeah. the AI is determining that based on all these other signals. It's it's not it's not based on yeah. anything personal. Definitely. Yeah. Well, on that, uh, we'd love to hear about some of your favorite tools in your tech stack. This is something we ask all the guests on deconstructing data. Um, so I don't know, could you list maybe three to five of your, your top favorite tools that we can tag in the comments here? I don't know if I want to give them away. I'm just going to be honest. These are like <laughs> my secret weapons. Um, <laughs> the no, popular think, ones uh, are like Slack and HubSpot yeah, or Snowflake. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, we are very on top of right now Adobe Express and um, Adobe Firefly. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with those guys, but Adobe has gone full force into the whole uh, optimization of workflow for creatives inside of their, their cloud tool system. And so there is some genius things happening there that we feel could be um, a game changer for the industry. So I would definitely be imploring people to check out Adobe's suite of tools, specifically Adobe Express and Adobe Firefly. Um, there is um, some fun stuff that I leverage. Obviously, Slack is one thing. Um, I, I use a lot of the widgets. I think there's a chat GPT widget now um, that sits kind of in browser that allows you to kind of ask things on the fly. So kind of helps assist in the search piece i've been using bing i can't believe i'm saying this because uh, i don't normally use microsoft but and luckily they're not a client of mine so i don't mind saying it but um bing has totally revolutionized the <laughs> um, entire search functionality um with the integration of open ai into microsoft's ecosystem and we're seeing some really interesting results specific to digital marketing and, and, and terms and, and the way in which now search is becoming a little bit more contextualized. Um, so I'm using Bing a lot to, as, a, as a querying tool um, that's an alternate to Google. Um, so that's, I, again, I don't know if that's a common thing, but you know, I know that people don't use Bing that much. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I think like the G Suite it, system, you know, Google Slides, et cetera, the standard stuff, um, you know, the uh, Google Meets uh, application is pretty cool. Um, there's another one actually, Kartiv, um, K-A-R-T-I-V. 
this is a new kind of AI tool that we're exploring with. Um, it's a really interesting way to optimize the creative production workflow. Um, so, you know, yeah, these are, these are some things we're testing and things that we're actively leveraging on a, on a daily basis that, that some people might find helpful. Well, that's awesome. Those are all good ones. Yeah, those are all good ones. And actually I, I want to bring one up about, um, chat GPT because I found an interesting, um, widget for it. Um, it's a, it's actually uh, a site called, um, it's called agent GPT. I don't know if you've heard mm. of that one. It's uh, mm. it's a project, so it's still sort of undergoing, but it's it's really interesting where you don't have to prompt it. Instead, what you do is you just tell it what your goal is, and it mm. asks um, it asks ChatGPT what the prompt should be for this goal, and then it creates oh. the prompt, and then it goes and 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 you know it tries to achieve your goal, which is pretty interesting. I played with it a little bit. Oh wow. So that sounds for it. it's agent gpt wow that sounds incredible i'm yeah. on it already if you have your own um if you're if you're a subscriber for uh open ai then you can you can actually plug in your api key mm. and it'll use your key if you don't then you might get a timeout if it if if you ask it something too complex and it has to make too many queries but it's it's pretty cool. Very I'm cool. On this one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh well, I guess we have a few minutes left. We might be able to get into some of these post-topic questions, Aaron. So if you don't mind us asking, let me find this one. If you could go back in time um, to a time when you were first coming into the industry, what is the number one piece of advice you would give yourself? Hmm. If I could go back in time um, and give myself advice, ooh, uh, I'd say um, I'd say to be less less fearful um, of of repercussions when when trialing and erroring. Uh, the mm -hmm. business, uh, I, I'd say, be be more forthright, be decisive about what it is that you feel you want to do. Don't be don't be creating a million and one plans and trying to execute a million and one different things poorly. But you know, be 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 fearless. Don't don't worry so much about um, whether or not it's going to be a success or a huge failure. Just go out and do it. Uh, I think I held myself back a lot because I wanted to become a subject matter expert in a specific field before I could felt confident enough to sell or talk to clients about it. In actual fact, I should have just gone and tested the damn thing and just done it and, you know, not worried so much about not knowing everything about it. So I'd say you're never going to know anything, everything. Um, it's the nature of the beast. Um, it's not, you know, like finance where you can, you know, read the incredibly theoretical things and some of them still, are relevant and apply. We're not talking like quantum physics and mechanics here. You know, it's just you know we're in a world of, of evolution and continuous evolution. So you know, embrace that and, and don't be fearful. Yeah, that's a great one. I, I I like the be fearless motto. It's something that I'm always trying to instill in my daughter, uh, who's uh, 20 going on 21, and it's like you know. 
just dive in. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. You know, mistakes are part of part of life, and and they make you stronger. You learn from them. Um, so being fearless is, is something I'm a, I'm a big fan of. Uh, um, mistakes are are good. You know, mistakes are, are great opportunities to learn. So I like that. It's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, definitely. Great advice. Yeah, no worries. And so going off that, you know, are there any lessons you've learned along the way from, you know, this job or past jobs that you think everyone should know? Uh, yeah, uh, slow down. I know I said be fearless and try everything, but also like not Rome was not built in a day. And, you know, I think there is this common misconception in popular culture that, um, you know, you work really hard and you can achieve everything in six months. It's like, that's not realistic. So recalibrate your expectation and really, you know, really be introspective, really think through. I, I, I talk a bit about this. I wrote something on LinkedIn the other day about becoming a subject matter expert, but really think through what it is that you think you know about something um, and test yourself on it. Right. And, 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 when you feel like you've been out of character, uh, you know, you might act to a certain way, you've been really annoyed, like take a moment to, to address that. You know, don't bypass it as just, you know, a moment in time and stress, you know, think about what it is that's going on with yourself because I think a lot of the time we, we very much, you know, are in our own heads, in our own space, we're moving at a million miles an hour and we, we don't necessarily catch up with ourselves in a way that is is helpful and so you end up in a, a space of feeling mentally drained you know you get into your mental health issues and and i think you know some of that can be avoided by just taking a breath taking a minute taking some introspection and taking time for yourself to really think through how you're feeling about things um and so these are all things i've learned over time and and you know that these are lessons that I'm, I'm continuously practicing i don't think there is anything that i've mastered yet but you know there's a there's a there's a, a student of the game mentality and i think if you can maintain that you know you'll you'll always feel good and and, and do well i love that awesome thank you for sharing that slow down yeah. and be a student of the game have a student of the game mentality that's, that's good <laughs> well, so in closing, where could our guests find you if you know they want to connect with you after the show? Uh, throw me on LinkedIn. Just have a look. I actually blocked my profile, so you can't add me unless you have my email address. But honestly, if you really want to connect with me, add me I'd, I, or follow me. Um, I do write a few things on there. Um, and, you know, I'll be honest. Um, I'm not somebody that's a huge social person, right? So LinkedIn is kind of like my place where I express how I'm feeling. And it's, uh, it's, it's pretty raw and it's pretty honest. And, um, you know, if you appreciate raw, honest feedback about life and the professional world, follow me on that. <laughs> awesome. Well, I would love to connect with you on, on LinkedIn, Aaron. So um, I hope you'll accept my connection request that I sent your way. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will. <laughs> it's just so spammy. I'll be honest. That's that's my issue. There's just too much spam on LinkedIn. So I have to, you know, that's why I've got that on there. Yeah, agree. Again. Agree. 
Well, we really appreciate you joining us today, Aaron. This has been great. Um, great catching up with you. Um, and we've had some great conversation. And I think that uh, hopefully our listeners uh, enjoyed as well and, and were able to absorb all of that. Uh, and, uh, you know, this has been great. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you, absolutely. guys. Thank you, Thank you so much. All right. Well, in closing, I'll go ahead and just play the video. Everyone have a great day. And we didn't mention Omni IQ, but since it is one year old, I better pull up the QR code just mm -hmm. for, for a reason. But is there anything you want to say about Omni IQ since it's a year old now, David? Um, well, yeah. I mean, a year ago, we launched what was just a, an idea. Um, and I think when we first launched it, it was it was like this big, you know, on the website. And you could do two or three things with it now. Um, now you can upload your file of, uh, you know, customer information and, you know, a simple CSV of some consumers from your CRM or whatever it is and get back, you know, free analytics and, um, add, you know, a whole bunch of data for enrichment, um, extend the audience, you know, finding more people that are just like your best customers using our AI platform and, uh, and improve your ad targeting return on ad spend. So, you know, in a nutshell, that's what it does. It's one year old. And, uh, you know, for anyone out there that wants to give it a try, it's free to try. So uh, just uh, scan the QR code or go to bdex.com and check it out. Yes. Happy birthday, Omni IQ. Mm -hmm. And we would love to hear from our listeners as always. So you can reach us at info at bdex.com. Share your qualitative data with us so we can make this better for you. All right, everyone. See you next week.